Welcome to NTD Evening News, our top story tonight. The Michigan Supreme Court allows former President Trump to stay on the 2024 ballot. At the same time, the Justice Department aims to limit Trump's defense in federal court. Melina Weisskopf has the latest on Trump's legal challenges. The top Biden administration officials are in Mexico City today seeking the Mexican president's support in tackling the immigration crisis. Meanwhile, in the U.S., a Democratic mayor is calling on the government to start deporting illegal immigrants. Adrian Pastor brings us a border update. A shocking phone call indicating Hamas terrorists could have control over UN relief operations in the Gaza Strip. That's as Hamas releases the video secretly recording Israeli troops before an unexpected turn of events. Jason Perry reports. And a Christmas miracle. A car crash victim in Indiana rescued after being trapped in his vehicle for days. We have the details on how he survived. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. A win for former President Trump as the Michigan Supreme Court keeps him on the ballot in the key battleground state. At the same time, Special Counsel Jack Smith aims to narrow Trump's defense in the January 6th case. Melina Weisskopf has the updates. Special Counsel Jack Smith is trying to limit evidence and arguments that Trump can make before the jury in his federal trial related to the January 6th related case. Prosecutors claim that Trump has tried to spread irrelevant disinformation and will try to politicize the trial. Specifically, Smith is concerned that Trump will distract the jury by making claims of political prosecution such as raising the question as to whether or not this legal case against Trump was launched in coordination with the Biden administration or the question of whether or not there were undercover agents present at the Capitol on January 6th or questions of alleged foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election. All of these topics, Jack Smith wants to be off limits at that trial, which is what he's asking of the D.C. judge. Meanwhile, proceedings in this case are currently on hold because of an appeal over the question of whether or not presidential immunity applies in this case. Meanwhile, Michigan Supreme Court today did rule that Trump can stay on the ballot in that state, rejecting an appeal to try to disqualify him. Michigan's court stated that they would not review the question as to whether or not Trump should be disqualified based on accusations that he incited an insurrection. This is the exact opposite from that Colorado ruling, which will likely go to the Supreme Court. We can expect to see several other rulings on this issue coming out over the coming weeks and months as there are challenges to Trump's candidacy in several other states. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Well, California followed Colorado's lead in banning former President Trump from the state's ballot. And Governor Gavin Newsom says such efforts could serve as a distraction. NTD's Eileen Eng has more. California Governor Gavin Newsom reacted to efforts from a top state official trying to bar former President Donald Trump from the state's ballot. This comes after the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump should be dismissed from the Colorado ballot for the 2024 election. They say he violated Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment. 
a majority of justices on the state court ruled that he engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States under their reading of the provision. The decision has triggered more efforts across the United States, including in California, to disqualify Trump from appearing on ballots in 2024. But in a statement issued on December 22nd, Newsom told his fellow Democrats that he believes that in California, we defeat candidates at the polls, referring to lawsuits against President Trump, and that everything else is a political distraction. Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis, who was running for governor as a Democrat in 2026, sent a letter to Secretary of State Shirley Weber urging her to find legal ways to remove Trump's name from the state's ballot. The letter reads, based on the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling, I urge you to explore every legal option to remove former President Donald Trump from California's 2024 presidential primary ballot. Meanwhile, Senator Dave Min, also a Democrat, announced that he would introduce a measure to allow residents of the state to file lawsuits to block candidates who are deemed ineligible. Top Biden administration officials are in Mexico today seeking the country's support in tackling the border crisis. This comes as two Democratic mayors speak out against illegal crossings, with one of them calling on the government to deport illegal immigrants. NDD's Arian Pastor has a border update. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas are in Mexico City on Wednesday. They're seeking the support of Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, in tackling the immigration crisis. The two are expected to bring up a number of requests, including moving migrants south, controlling the railways that are used by migrants to move north, and providing visas and other incentives for migrants to stay in Mexico. This comes as new footage this week shows migrants making fires and sleeping between train cars in Mexico. They often travel on top of the train to not get caught by Mexican authorities. Mexican migration authorities get us off the buses. If we're about to reach the border, we're returned to southern Mexico for no apparent reason. How are we supposed to move forward? We have to get on the train. However, sometimes Mexican authorities don't stop the migrants, an issue the American delegation might address at Wednesday's meeting. Shortly before the meeting, President Obrador said the U.S. should be investing in poor people in Latin America and the Caribbean instead of putting up barriers, barbed wire fences in the river or thinking about building walls. Meanwhile in the U.S., the Democratic mayor of Eagle Pass, Texas, says the U.S. should start deporting people, adding that the problem starts with President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris not taking a stand on the issue. It's very disappointing that they haven't made that message themselves that you can't come into this country illegally, one. And second, yes, of course, there has to be a consequence to somebody breaking the law. People know that they're processing them quick. That's why they keep coming. So until we start deporting people in large amounts, this will continue to keep going. He adds that the influx of immigrants is causing crime in his city to rise. New York City Mayor Eric Adams on Tuesday suggested not allowing illegal immigrants to work could result in an increase in crime in the future. If you have someone four or five months and said you cannot work, you cannot feed your family, you cannot provide for yourself, what happens? You know, lack of opportunities, you know, an idle mind, you know, is the devil's workshop, as they say. He added that it may soon come to the point where illegal immigration affects everyday New Yorkers. Arian Pastar, NTD News. 
Israeli forces released a recorded phone call that alleges that Hamas controls United Nations relief efforts in Gaza. Meanwhile, Hamas released a video that secretly recorded Israeli troops before an unexpected term of events. NTZ's Jason Perry has the latest on the Israel-Hamas war and a warning. This report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing. On Wednesday, Hamas terrorists released a video of what appears to be Israeli troops recovering the body of a deceased soldier while other troops were standing guard. A terrorist inside a residence then throws a grenade at them and opens fire. Hamas also released footage of another terrorist inside a residence firing an explosive at an apparent Israeli tank. Hamas terrorists not only control the Gaza Strip, but according to a recorded phone call released by the IDF on Wednesday, Hamas also controls the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA. In the phone call, a Gazan resident explains that from the day Hamas rose to power, they took control of everything. Hamas after such a significant statement, the IDF officer asked him to clarify what he meant. And when it comes to humanitarian aid, he said Hamas provides it to their own people first. We reached out to UNRWA for comment, but we didn't get a response before airtime. Meanwhile, Hamas security escorted this convoy of trucks carrying humanitarian aid, including fuel, as it made its entry into the Gaza Strip from Egypt on Wednesday. Israel's government spokesperson Elon Levy said this on Wednesday. UN agencies are currently struggling to distribute aid at the pace that Israel is inspecting it. Unfortunately, to date, the UN aid mechanism in Gaza has been woefully unsuccessful because it goes through UNRWA. Aid simply isn't reaching the people who need it because Hamas hijacks it and UNRWA covers up for it. He also gave this warning about Hezbollah's continued attacks across Israel's northern border. We are now at a fork in the road. Either Hezbollah backs off from the Israeli border in line with UN Resolution 1701 from 2006, or we will push it away ourselves. Levy's comments come just a day after Hezbollah terrorist in Lebanon fired an anti-tank missile at a church in northern Israel. The attack injured two Israeli Christians, according to the IDF. Then, when Israeli troops responded to the injured, Hezbollah fired another missile at the church, injuring nine Israeli soldiers. Just after the attack on Tuesday, the IDF spokesperson accused Hezbollah of trying to drag Lebanon into the war Hamas had started. He said that if the attacks continue, Hezbollah will bear the consequences and responsibility of an unnecessary war, and it could bring unwanted destruction to the people of Lebanon. Jason Perry, NTD News. Shipping operations in the Red Sea have finally resumed, but some companies remain skeptical. That's despite a U.S.-led international military effort that's working to protect the region from attacks by Houthis in Yemen. Danish shipping giant Maersk has announced that it's returning to the Suez Canal and the Red Sea. But some other shipping companies, like Habit Loy, are abandoning operations there. The German firm says that the region is too dangerous and that it will transit through the Cape of Good Hope instead. 
Since the October 7th attack, the Iran-backed Houthis have been showing solidarity with Hamas terrorists. The group has ramped up missile atta attacks on cargo ships they believe are heading for Israel. Relentless drone strikes force ships to stay out of the region, causing oil and gas prices to go up. Tensions over the Israel-Hamas war playing out right here in the U.S. Dozens of pro-Palestinian protesters were arrested after blocking traffic to JFK Airport in New York today. Joining us now to explore the pro-Palestinian protests and the rise in anti-Semitism, Wabdov Haikand. He's a former Democratic New York Assemblyman and founder of Americans Against Anti-Semitism. Dov, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. So today, police arrested over two dozen pro-Palestinian protesters here in New York for blocking traffic to the John F. Kennedy International Airport. Something similar happened outside of Los Angeles International Airport also today, where about a dozen protesters were arrested for impacting traffic. You went to the JFK Airport today to see the protests, but they were arrested already by the time you got there. Do you think this was an appropriate response from the police? There's no question about it. Uh, you know, you have a right to protest, uh, even if it's uh, supporting a terrorist Nazi organization like Hamas uh, that did what it did to uh, innocent civilians uh, on October 7th. You have a right to protest. But you don't have a right to interfere with my rights. And that is, you know, people trying to catch uh, flights, uh, people. Uh, you know, we all know what it's like when you're on the way to the airport and you, you want to make sure that everything goes well and you got to go through security. So for those who, you know, block the roads, uh, you know, that's interfering with my rights. You have a right to protest, uh, but you don't have a right to interfere with my life and what I'm trying to do. And on Christmas Day, hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters marched around the Rockefeller Christmas tree here in New York, vowing to, quote, and cancel Christmas. And that's despite New York Governor Kathy Hochul this week in her Christmas message condemning a rise in anti-Semitism. You mentioned that, you know, we have a right to live our lives. And but, you know, we're hearing voices in protests like this, you know, vowing to cancel Christmas. What do you think? Well, it's uh, it's horrible. And uh uh, the people that are involved in this, uh, I, I don't know what they think. They are making enemies of a lot of people who see this behavior. They see people who don't give a darn about other people's rights, who don't respect other people's religious observance and so on. It's sort of like anything goes. It's okay. You want to be for the Palestinians? That's fine. But when you are there for Hamas, that's a whole different story than you are supporting a Nazi organization. You are supporting an ISIS organization, and that's a whole different story. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, they are dangerous. Again, I repeat, Americans supporting those who butchered innocent men, women, and children. And by the way, I'm aware of what's going on in Gaza, civilians who are being killed in the bombings. I get it, I understand. But where do you put the blame? Who's responsible? What does the world expect Israel to do? Just stop because because Hamas uses the civilian population? Do you hear anything about that? Are they sending a message to the right place, which is to this terrorist, vile, barbaric organization? No. They want Israel to stop. If Israel, God forbid, would it do that, and they won't, it is giving a victory to Hamas, and that is not going to happen. 
You mentioned the civilian casualties right now in Gaza. And as we approach 2024, an election year, President Biden is facing increasing pressure to call for a ceasefire in Gaza as the death toll there rises. What's your message to President Biden, who, according to polls, is already losing support among young American voters for supporting Israel? Well, let me tell you, uh, President Biden uh, has an opportunity uh, for greatness. And that is by doing the right thing. President Biden knows full well. He saw the videos. He saw the things that most of us have not seen. So is President Biden going to do what's politically expedient? Or is he going to go down for a man of amazing principle by doing the right thing? And the right thing is let Israel do what it needs to do. By the way, if God forbid, wherever anyone listening to this program, wherever you live in America, if hundreds of people were butchered in your neighborhood the way men, women, and children were butchered, the multiple rapes, I mean, the horrors that were committed, if it happened in your neighborhood, what would America do? So it is really perplexing and shocking that you have people running around in America who support Hamas, not the Palestinians. They support the Nazis. Therefore, the Nazis. And lastly, before I let you go here, we've heard the IDF vowing just this week that this war is expected to continue for many more months to come. Of course, we are, like you mentioned, we are hearing calls right now for permanent or temporary ceasefires. And of course, you know, the U.S. government also under pressure for that as well. Do you think the support for Israel overall is going to wane over time, even among the American public here? Well, look, it, it, it may very well wane among some people, and that won't change the reality. The people of Israel are united. In Israel today, there's no more left-right. Everyone is united that the job needs to be done. Uh, and it is tragic that we're in a situation like we are. But there is no choice. You know, in Hebrew, there's a word that the Israelis understand. Ain Reira. There is no choice. There is no choice. It's easy to sit back in America. It's easy to sit back in Paris or London and say, oh, they should stop. I wish they could stop in the sense that uh, Hamas was already eradicated, but that will take a little more time and it will happen. There is no choice but to get rid of these monsters. If we do not do that, we will pay the price again and again, and that's not acceptable. Dove, thanks so much for joining us. Stay safe and Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me. Healthy and happy for everybody. And the NYPD will be out in force at Times Square's ball drop on New Year's Eve. As the city's mayor, Eric Adams, says he's sure that pro-Palestinian protesters will try to interrupt the event. And a Christmas miracle. Police in Indiana says a car crash victim drank rainwater to survive as he was trapped in his vehicle for days. Indiana State Police said on Tuesday that two fishermen found 27-year-old Matthew Ream pinned in his side inside his pickup truck after a crash on Interstate 94. Police say they believe the crash had actually occurred around December 20th. Reem's truck had gone off the interstate and ended up under the bridge and partially in a creek. Reem was unable to reach his cell phone to call for help. 
The fisherman who found Reem initially thought he was dead until Reem turned his head and began to speak to them. Authorities came and freed Reem from the truck. He was taken to the hospital with severe and life-threatening injuries. Police are urging drivers to always let someone know when you're traveling and to have an emergency kit in your car. And coming up, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy calls presidential TV ad spending a foolish investment and pulls funding for them. Find out more about what's behind the move. A new study ranks the country's media cities. Over two dozen California cities made the list. More on which ones and what qualifies them as needy. As the year 2023 has been an eventful one, with just a few days left, we take a look at some of the top news stories that changed people's lives after the break. Welcome back. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has suddenly stopped spending on TV ads. This just as primary season is about to get underway. NTD's Jack Bradley has more. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has paused all of his TV ads less than a month before the GOP nomination process formally begins. His spending on TV ads has dropped dramatically this month. The first week of December, he spent $200,000 on TV ads. Last week, he spent just $6,000. Ramaswamy's opponents are still spending big. Last week, former President Trump spent $1.1 million on TV ads. Nikki Haley, $1 million. Ron DeSantis, $270,000. And Chris Christie, $88,000. The GOP nomination process formally begins on January 15th with the Iowa caucuses, followed by the New Hampshire primary on January 23rd. After each state has its primary or caucus, the GOP presidential nominee will be officially chosen at the Republican National Convention in July. Ramaswamy's campaign says the TV ad pause is intentional. It says it believes the best way to reach voters is through addressable advertising, mail, text, live calls, and door-to-door. Jack Bradley, NTD News. As popular California cities struggle with a homeless population, the state has again made it on WalletHub's list of media cities 29 times. David Lamb has the details. A study by WalletHub compared 182 cities based on a variety of factors indicating poverty, unemployment, homelessness, education, debt, and as well as health and safety. The study found that Detroit, Michigan is the neediest city, in large part due to it having the highest unemployment rate in the nation at 8.3%. The second neediest city was Brownsville in Texas, with it lagging behind in education. 32% of its 25 and up population have not graduated high school. Fresno, California ranked third on the list. The study said Fresno has the highest rate of homelessness in America. 28 other California cities made the list of neediness as well. Los Angeles was ranked 15th. San Francisco also topped the list for the percentage of homes with inadequate plumbing and kitchens. In addition to Fresno, the top five cities with homelessness rates were also Honolulu, San Francisco, New York, and Long Beach. 
Three Louisiana cities made it in the top 25, New Orleans at number 11, Shreveport and Baton Rouge. With 2023 coming to a close, we'll take a look at some of the biggest news stories this year in a special multi-part series. NDD's Daniel Monahan has the second part, a summary of April to June. April was a busy month for Finland this year. The Russian neighbor joined NATO on April 4th, completing a historic security policy shift triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, we can now declare that Finland is the 31st member of the North Atlantic Treaty. Later in the month, Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin, the world's youngest prime minister when she took office in 2019, aged 34, stepped down as chair of the center-left Social Democrats. This after her party narrowly lost the election. Moscow under attack as a drone exploded above the Moscow Kremlin in an alleged Ukraine drone attack on May 3rd. Russia accused Ukraine of the attack in a failed attempt to kill President Vladimir Putin. A new king was crowned in England on May 6th. King Charles III was crowned in Britain's biggest ceremonial event in seven decades. Charles succeeded his mother, Queen Elizabeth, when she died in September 2022. The newly crowned King Charles appeared on the Buckingham Palace balcony next to his wife, Queen Camilla, as supporters gathered outside. In health news, the World Health Organization declared that COVID was no longer a health emergency on May 5th. The WHO's emergency committee first declared that COVID represented its highest level of alert on January 30th, 2020. It's therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. Officials say the COVID pandemic killed nearly 7 million people. In Turkey, incumbent Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan won a fiercely fought presidential election in May. The close election forced a May 28th runoff, which Erdogan won 52 to 47 percent. I would like to thank each and every member of our nation who gave us the responsibility of governing the country for the next five years. Russian President Vladimir Putin had to deal with an armed mutiny in June. The private army of mercenary boss Yevgeny Prigozhin seized control of a southern city of more than a million people as part of an attempt to oust the military leadership. The mercenary fighters then barreled towards Moscow on June 24th. Prigozhin says his men were on a march for justice to remove corrupt and incompetent commanders he blamed for botching the war in Ukraine. But Prigozhin eventually called off the march, claiming he wanted to save Russian blood. Disaster struck on the open seas off of Greece in June. At least 82 migrants drowned early on June 14th, and hundreds more were missing and feared dead after their overloaded boat capsized and sank. The boat was carrying up to 750 refugees and migrants. Only 104 people were rescued. And finally, another disaster associated with the name Titanic, a submersible taking wealthy tourists to visit the famous ship's wreckage, stopped communicating on June 18th, about 90 minutes after beginning descent. The world watched tensely as people speculated how long they could survive based on oxygen calculations. A debris field from the imploded ship was found on June 22nd. All those aboard were killed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
And coming up, 10 people died and thousands were left without power after strong thunderstorms hit eastern Australia. And the CIA is facing allegations that it helped cover up the origins of COVID-19. A new lawsuit is trying to uncover more. Our guest today walks us through the timeline. That and more after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us right now, here are some of today's top headlines. The Michigan Supreme Court ruling today that former President Trump can stay on the 2024 ballot. That's a special counsel Jack Smith is trying to bar Trump from making political arguments in his federal election trial. Israel releases a phone call showing that Hamas controls the United Nations Reliefs and Works Agency in Gaza. Israel says humanitarian aid to Gaza is not reaching people in need because Hamas is hijacking them. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas today meeting with the Mexican president amid a growing border crisis. They're asking Mexico to help by moving migrants south, controlling railways and providing incentives for migrants to stay in Mexico. Parts of Australia are reeling today after severe thunderstorms and killed at least 10 people over the Christmas holidays. Winds battered the country's east as tens of thousands of properties are still without power. Wild weather lashed the states of Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland on December 25th and 26th. It brought large hailstones, torrential rains and strong winds which blew off roofs and brought down trees. Local resident Paul Boyton is in Helensvale. Oh, it was some of the strongest wind I've ever heard. So yeah, it was pretty scary. The kids were freaking out. Yeah, they were pretty nervous. Yeah, but just inside, all you could hear is just all the banging and things breaking. The whole time, you know, that's more and more damage to the house and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Three men were killed after a yacht capsized near Green Island in Moreton Bay. Authorities said two people were killed by falling trees. And two women died after being swept away in flooded storm water drains, police said. The danger isn't over yet. Authorities warn fast-rising rivers and streams could burst the banks inundating campgrounds, often crowded over the festive period. So it's the first time we've ever had a concrete power pole destroyed uh, by a storm. That's, uh, that's pretty significant. That's uh, un unprecedented. Certainly the scenes I saw where you didn't just have a single power line down, you had a power line down between every pole. Miles says the damage from the thunderstorms and Cyclone Jasper, which hit the state earlier this month, could be in the billions. Despite more rain predicted, Australia's Bureau of Meteorology expected the wild weather to ease later on Wednesday. The CIA is facing a lawsuit over records related to investigation into the origins of COVID-19. New allegations say that the agency paid off its analysts to change their conclusions about the origins of the virus and suppress the lab leak theory. Joining us now to discuss the lawsuit and the U.S. response to COVID, we have Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. He's also the author of Liberty or Lockdown. Jeffrey Tucker, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. So first, the Heritage Foundation is suing the CIA, accusing it of withholding records, detailing payoffs to analysts to bury findings about COVID origins. What do you think about those allegations? And do you think the public should be able to get a hold on more related records on where COVID comes from? 
Sure, we're zeroing in on the key problem here, which is the role of the intelligence community in the entire COVID response. It seems like we have vast amounts of evidence that the uh, intelligence community was involved from the very beginning, really from late uh, January all the way through f February, uh, probably uh, involved in covering up the lab leak. We know for sure that Fauci visited CIA headquarters. Uh, the National Security Council was made the rulemaking authority on March 13, 2020. Uh, we have a great deal of evidence that the intelligence community really just ran the show from the very beginning. But there's been almost no talk about this at all in the corporate media. And very few people are even aware of this. The Brownstone, we've been publishing about this for two years, but it's still not becoming mainstream. So this lawsuit was a delightful surprise. I'm, I'm thrilled that Heritage Foundation is getting involved in this thing. And hopefully we get to the bottom of this. I, I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful, but I think it's a, a great step. And also in COVID origins, Dr. Fauci is scheduled to sit for a deposition with the House COVID subcommittee on January 8th and January 9th in 2024, which is coming up in about just 10, 10 days. So what kind of questions do you think lawmakers should ask him when it comes to COVID, which killed 7 million people worldwide? We know for sure, starting in late January, that he and Jeremy Farrar from Britain were on the phone using burner phones, using secret phone calls, discussing things. And they made some big plans. They took a junket in the middle of February to Wuhan, uh, sponsored by the CCP, uh, had uh, you know f chartered flights, fancy meals. Uh, Fauci's deputy assistant, Clifford Lane, was on that trip. They came back and on the 26th wrote a report for the World Health Organization saying that the entire world should replicate what the CCP did in Wuhan. Um, otherwise, February 2020 is a bit of a blank to us. So if, I, if Fauci were in front of me, I would have a lot of questions to him about that junket to China, about what he knew when he knew it, the payoffs to the authors of the initial report, which is written in about three days, saying that there was no lab leak. That was clearly, I would say there's every bit of evidence that it's a, a cover-up. And I would like to know other things, like why did he panic the American public claiming that there was going to be a 3 to 4 percent death rate, which he did uh, on, on Congress on, I believe it was March the 11th, 2020. So there's a lot we need to know. Uh, as long as we're asking questions, we might want to ask about his uh, royalties he gets from pharmaceutical prod products, <clears throat> possibly including even uh, vaccines for COVID-19. So you mentioned the need to demand more answers here in the U.S. about U.S. response to COVID. But when it comes to cases in China, the WHO has asked the Chinese government for more information about the pneumonia outbreak, etc. Do you think the world will be able to get transparency out of China this time around? Uh, not there's no chance of that. I mean, uh, we know what happened last time, uh, back in 2020, January 2020, there were scientists in China that was trying to get the word out of the sequence of the virus, just in the name World Health, and they were punched very severely for their efforts. So everybody in China knows what's what, and you know they're gonna follow the CCP line, which is that everything's great and well, and everything's fine. So not to worry about it, it's all uh, you know in the, in, in the hands of Xi Jinping. He's got it all, he's the master of the universe. So that's that's the prevailing line in the in the Chinese and China scientific community right now. It's really tragic that cooperation is is has fallen to basically zero. Um, but 
I mean, let's not forget that the, the whole reason this, this disaster started in the first place was uh, too tight a relationship between the U.S. NIH under Fauci and the CCP with their virus uh, uh, gain-of-function research in Wuhan. So that's what, that's what began this, this, this complete uh, calamity. Um, so I would not like to see that kind of cooperation, but transparency would be a, a good step in the right direction. Jeffrey Tucker, thanks so much for joining us as always, and Happy New Year to you. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, final touches are being added to floats for the 2024 Rose Parade. Christina Corona brings us a behind-the-scenes look at the preparations. And in the NFL, how a coin toss mishap has turned into a player suspension. Dave Martin joins us in the studio to discuss when we return. Welcome back. Over in California, volunteers are getting to work and preparing floats for the 2024 Rose Parade. NTD's Christina Corona gives us a behind-the-scenes look. Fiesta Parade floats in Irwindale showcase some of their floats that will be participating in the 2024 Pasadena Rose Parade. This year, the theme of the Rose Parade is celebrating a world of music. And every float that we're building here at Fiesta Parade Floats is really bringing that musical element. We have uh, five floats in the parade that we're building here. Every float has their own unique theme revolving around music. We have one for the State Office of Tourism for the state of Louisiana. They have a beautiful Mardi Gras theme. They're going to be all sorts of different musical elements to it. The UPS store has a float called the Beat of Achievement, 35-foot crocodile that is going to be rocking out all the way down Colorado Boulevard. A seasoned volunteer shared his contribution to this year's floats. I'm going to be very busy putting on seaweed today. So every surface on this float has to be covered with some kind of organic material. So whether it's seeds or flower petals or seaweed or uh, actual live flowers, uh, it will be 100% covered by the time the week is done. But there may be some challenges to perfectly craft the decorations. It's all trial and error because you, you know what, what they want. It just how are you going to get there to achieve that goal? So they put us on it. We go up there and we figure out a pattern. We figure out, devise creative ways that we can apply the material. From children to adults, many individuals come out every year to volunteer their time to decorate such impressive floats. My mom asked, hey, if you do you want to go to the Rose Parade, I got volunteer stuff ready. I was just super excited because I just really wanted to go because it was so cool. I feel like it's just like you have to like learn to like work with other people around you because like you're sitting these like little workstation tables and you have to like learn how to like coexist with the people around you. On December 31st, the float judges from the Tournament of Roses will view and judge all of the floats for the various prizes in the parade. Christina Corona, NTD News. And now for sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, tell us about a fun fact about the Rose Parade first. Well, the Rose Bowl is at the end of it. This is the oldest bowl game in the world. I mean, it's like 80 years old. This is what started college football's bowl tradition. 
Wow, that's interesting. So first, <laughs> coming back to our main topic, some surprising news out of the NFL today. When as the Green Bay Packers have suspended a player for crashing a coin toss on Sunday. Have you ever seen that happen before? Never. Of course, I've never heard of someone nearly messing up the coin toss, but that's what, what reportedly almost happened. You know, the player we're talking about is two-time Pro Bowl cornerback Jair Alexander. It's unclear if he was supposed to be out there in the first place. Now, you actually have to know what you're doing out there. It's not actually just calling heads or tails. Your three options should you win the coin toss or to receive, kick off, or defer your choice to the second half. Everyone pretty much chooses to defer their choice to the second half and then chooses to receive the kickoff then. The loser of the coin toss will then choose to receive for the first half to start the game. Now it's not like if you kick off to start the game, you automatically receive to start the second half. Now what happened, Alexander reportedly said defense when they won the coin toss, which really isn't an option. Thankfully, the officials conferred with them and it was decided that he meant defer. Uh, in any case, it didn't seem like head coach Michael, Michael LaFleur was too happy about this. I guess this suspension kind of confirms that. And now elsewhere in the league, Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers clarified his being put on the active roster, even though they're not going to actually play him. And of course, he got criticized for that. What's the controversy here? Yeah, it's because him being put on the roster, despite not actually playing, is going to cost someone else a roster spot. You know, but they had to release someone to do this, but they really wanted him to be practicing in preparation for 2024. Rogers, though, on the Pat McAfee show said he actually wanted to go back on injured reserve for that very reason. He didn't, he didn't want someone to get released. But the Jets brass overruled. They said they wanted him to start practicing right now, so they made this decision. Fortunately, the player getting released has his salary fully guaranteed. Now, it's a little hard. Rogers would even have to clarify this. But he said, he also mentioned that there are some people out there who are still not very happy with him about his COVID vaccine stance from a couple years ago. Maybe that's still a factor in some people's minds. Now shifting gears to the NBA, we know that Memphis guard John Moran was named the NBA's best player of the week after returning from a season-long suspension. So what has his impact been for his team here? I mean, it's been huge, maybe even bigger than I thought. They're already 4-0 with him. They were 6-19 and without him. You know, he's scored 30 or more points in three of the four games. Really, the only sign of rust is his three-point shooting. He's like 3 of 18. That's obviously a very small sample size. I'm sure it'll get better. Now, Memphis, though, I mean, they have a ways to go to get where they normally are in the standings. I mean, they've won their division each of the past two seasons. I don't know if that's possible this season, given that they're still nine games under 500 and we're about to start January. They just need to worry about playing well and getting back just in the playoff race at this point. And now tonight, the college bowl season continues with two more games, with one currently going on. You have previously said that, you know, these college bowl games are pretty much watered down. But what's appealing about the ones tonight? Yeah, the bowl starts with the lower bowls going first, and then they get more interesting as, as they go on. We're like two-thirds of the way through the bowl season, so they're getting better. Tonight, you actually have the first ranked teams playing, you know, with number 15 Louisville playing USC. Uh, who will be without former Heisman winner Caleb Williams. Now, the Pac-12, they've been loaded this year, and the Trojans, they've had a tough time, especially on defense. I'm curious to see how they do against the second-best team in the ACC and what that says if they win. Now, that's for the Holiday Bowl. Then you also have the Texas Bowl. It starts after that with an old Big 12 rivalry between Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. Now, the Aggies, they really have not been a power since they joined the SEC. I mean, that could be because the conference is so loaded. Now, meanwhile, the Cowboys, they finished runner-up in the Big 12. I think there's some overall animosity, though, between these two conferences since the SEC you know, keeps picking off their flagship schools. Hopefully, it results in a competitive battle.
Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us as always. Thank you, Iris. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Iris Tao. Good night.